Hello, everybody. Before we start the show, I wanted to do a quick ask. If you're not subscribed to this podcast, but you listen to it each week, if you get any value from us, or you think it's funny, you laugh, you get insight, you learn something, or if you just want to be a nice person and support the show, please hit the subscribe button. That means the world. It really, really helps the growth of our show. It also helps notify you all whenever we come out with a new episode. So if you wouldn't mind taking a minute right now and subscribing to the show, it would mean the world. Okay, let's get into it. Welcome to Business School. I'm Phineas Ellis, the co-founder of Stereotype Studio, a podcast production company. And my name is Stephen Cool. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Burrow, a direct-to-consumer furniture brand. This is a show where we explore the many glamorous and scandalous aspects of consumer startup culture. Today's episode, we're going to go back through and do a quick retrospective on the episodes we've had thus far, and we're going to give both like a quick memory and, and maybe a highlight of the show and then also an update on what's been going on with that business or that in that topic since then. So, all right, let's review the trailer. No. <laughs> the trailer was great. It took us a long time to get there. Actually, though, we did a pretty good job summarizing what the show is in the trailer. So we did. We did we a pretty did. good job. So go back and listen to the trailer. Episode one, Dave Silvant. That was at the height of the Black Lives Matter protests. And we had Dave on to talk about what it's like to be a founder during that crazy time. He's got a business that... A founder, and Dave is black, to be clear. Dave is black, and he had really interesting things to say that I was not expecting, actually. His audio was also terrible. His audio was terrible. His kid was running around in the background, but he's a super sharp guy who's building a business that is growing incredibly quickly. And Dave, Dave is the definition of a hustler. Like, that guy just is always everybody everybody who also knows him is like man that guy he will do anything for his company he's always selling doing something and it, it's clearly working they're they're gonna fundraise again i mean they're they're like already raising when we had him on the show they had just closed their series b and now they're raising their series c i believe i, I don't know if that's public or not but like they're definitely talking everybody's talking about it he may have said it on the show that they're about to do the c it was a great episode. We got to have them back on because I think their business is growing so quickly that they're probably in a really different place. We should actually today. have Song on, his co-founder. Let's do it. Who I think is more like the traditional business person who's also amazing. Okay. But it'd, be, it'd be very interesting to, to compare and contrast them because they're very different people and they work well together. Um, I also want to say I, I do use Squire to get my haircut. It's easy. It's really nice because if you if you find if you're like this is a quick plug for them. If you if you find a barber that you like, but you're kind of lazy. Like I know some people have are like religious about who they use. I think you might be one of those people. I am. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, people like me. I text my barber. Like I'm that guy. Yeah. So I'm like I kind of like bounce around, and if I find someone that's good, I don't know when they're working again. Yeah. But if I use Squire, I can like figure it out and plan it. That's cool. Yeah, it is nice. It's also nice that the barbershop I use is yeah. literally across the street from my apartment. So, and I had a one of my friends that is is a fan of the show came at me about he was confused as to why Squire makes sense as a business. He was like, "How are you adding value to barbershops when you're taking margin out of an already small margin business?" Proof is in the pudding, baby. So, Gordon, go back and listen to that show. The proof is in the pudding, okay? Go ask every one of the thousands of barbershops that are on their platform that that are making more money because they use the platform. Yeah. Okay, uh episode 2 we did growth versus profitability. That was I think the foundation for the show. 
and was such an easy episode to record because there was so much to talk about because it's fundamental to the culture of startups, certainly in New York, that we had been both living through for many years. So it's a fan favorite. Everybody, everybody listens to this show has said that is their favorite episode. Not everybody, but most people. I really enjoyed it because it's something that I didn't think had been spoken to eloquently and not that we did it super eloquently, but it was certainly fun to talk about. It was on that point. I think we talked about WeWork a little bit in that episode. I recently read an article. uh, I think it was in Forbes, probably everywhere. They have a path to profitability, supposedly. They're actually going to go <laughs> give their IPO another go, uh, I, which is, I don't know. I have a hard time believing that they're on this, like, like when, when Casper says they're on a path to profitability, personally, I believe it. They have been trimming their burn rate. It's also like, you know, $20, $25 million a quarter. So it's like, I, I, you know, I believe it to get there. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at an article right now. The headline is, WeWork burns through another $500 million <laughs> in third quarter. I mean, like, at some point, don't we have to look at this? Maybe this is just how I feel generally about the world. But at some point, don't we have to say, like, what are the consequences? Like, what? WeWork burned through $500 million in the third quarter, and there's other articles that are saying that they have high potential of going public and that being a success. WeWork is like the biggest horror story in the history of commerce. It's like that company followed by, uh, what's the, what I was the healthcare company? Oh, Theranos. Theranos and WeWork. It's like, who who's worse than that? Yeah, I will say, I mean, <laughs> I mean, WeWork has an actual real product. <laughs> okay, I will but, say. But like, hey, hey, I mean, Theranos is just a made-up product. Like, okay, it's like, fair. They're losing money, but at least yeah, yeah. it's real. But I mean, like, like you've been, you can go on. to, a, you can go to a WeWork. Like, people are renting. But the largest space. drop in shareholder value in a single day in the history of private companies. I think COVID may have saved them. If you think about all these companies that are like, do we want to have office space again, like a proper office, or do we have a flexible workspace situation where we can have some desks? that are just like, you know, hot desks. I think when I, I did a consulting project at Amex and they would always uh, set us up on these, what they called hot desks, which are just like nice desks set up and anybody can use them. And you just have a certain number of desks in a WeWork that are you pay for as a company and people can go in, cannot, whatever. I think, I think that's going to work for them. Okay. I mean, oh, I get that that works, but I also am I mean, like- $500 million a quarter is <laughs> but a I'm also lot like, to trim. I'm also Although like, that being said, what was, uh, what was Wayfair's burn rate? But I, I, I think that that's interesting, sort of, but also like, how can they so quickly recover- from what happened to them. How can you be a $60 billion company in terms of valuation, followed by it dropping to, what did it drop down to? Six, five billion dollars in value? And then now, less than a year later, they're starting to talk about going public and they're still burning at that rate? I mean, I just don't get it. Uh, You know, it's not a very scientific argument but i just don't understand I'm, I'm looking up wayfair's financials right now because this was a company that as of in 2019 trailing 12 months 2019 they lost a billion dollars is that right <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah know. yeah they, they lost sorry they lost 900 their their pre-tax income was negative 981 million dollars 
okay? This company made, I think they made like $500 million of EBITDA in, in Q2. Yeah, they made $440 million in profit. That's a big swing. I, I will say they did it. So like if COVID's going to help, it's better help quickly because if Wayfair went from losing $250 million a quarter to making almost $500 million of a quarter, I mean, that's a big swing. It benefited them big time. COVID did. Uh, I don't know. I guess <laughs> now I'm skeptical that WeWork's going to make up the gap. <laughs> I, I'm like, I am like, I am, I am not buying WeWork stock. There's just no, I mean, there's just absolutely no way. Okay. Episode four. That was with Katie Hunt of Showfields. We talked about retail, future of retail. We talked about some of the more experiential businesses in retail that were doing it well and doing it not so well. Museum of Ice Cream seems to be open and who knows if it's thriving but uh well it's a little cold out now katie's just open they're opening a new location in miami honestly i'm a buyer like i think i think katie's that whole team katie and that whole team is super sharp and i think that they're leaning heavy into the creative side of experiential they're merging with the art world i don't think you can evaluate the showfields business in terms of it being traditional retail it's not traditional retail they're doing something completely different which is why i think now, I'm not sure how scalable it is. I'm not sure they're going to open 50 locations, but I hope they prove me wrong. But I do think that there is a market for what they do. At the core of it, what they do and what they do well is they launch small businesses into retail. And there's value there. I think I think they are learning that the art piece is not ever going to be a key component of making that a viable business model. I agree. But they're doing a really good job with everything else. When she said that they have these audio tours now yeah. because of COVID, yeah. I thought that was fucking brilliant. What's interesting about that business is, it yes, they need customers to walk in the door and purchase. However, their main customer is the small business. Yeah, when they treat the small business like art as opposed to adding art to yeah, the I don't businesses. mean art exactly. I don't mean art like hanging on the wall. No, but I mean, they, but like, they have that too. So yeah, that's where yeah, that's, that's where right. I. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I'm not. That's I'm not, not why you're going there. I'm not a believer that the art hanging on the wall and featuring cool local artists means a, anything. But I do think that they do a great job of creatively presenting small business. Like they're solving a problem in that, and we we work together on this. Like it costs a lot of money to go into retail, mm-hmm. and so they're solving that problem. For companies and they can test and dip their tone to retail and some brands will do well some won't but there's a market for that certainly can i just say you did the most uh male thing ever you skipped over episode three female founders oh boy that's bad female founders let's talk let's go back what's happening with it eva eva is still great eva is doing really well that is a business that is not going anywhere like it just it's a business that makes a lot of sense not it's going a- away it's not going away. It's what going places? You said it's not going anywhere. <laughs> oh, not leaving. It's not going away. <laughs> it's going places. That is a yeah, business yeah, yeah. that is going places. That is a business, and I think heavily because she is such a gamer. Like, she really is. She's been grinding out. Like, people don't realize how long she's been working on this. She's been working on this for several years. I've had so many people come up to me and say, hey, listen to the show. Eva's amazing. I, I've met her. She's awesome. I love that episode. Yeah, I, I look, if you could buy stock in private companies, you buy stock in Mod. And they did just raise. Yeah, they just did a an exciting announcement. They brought on a celebrity investor, Dakota Johnson. So we should 
probably have her back on to talk about. I that. would love to do a whole episode on what it's like working with a celebrity because we've been pitched on it at Burrow a lot, and we've just always walked away from because I just never know what the fuck the person's actually going to do. All right, so stay tuned. We'll ask Eva to come back on the show to talk about that. That'll be a great episode. Awesome, cool. Skipping up no, to episode five. Well, hang on a second. Female founders. Okay, yeah. Ty Haney. Oh yeah. Outdoor Voices. She came out with a big expose. Uh, Tom Foster interviewed her. Tom Foster did a piece back in the day on all the quote unquote Warby Parker copycats who come out of Wharton and or are connected to David Bell, who was a former professor at Wharton. He misquoted me and made me look like an idiot. And look who's laughing now, Tom. <laughs> oh, we will never make money, huh? All right. Anyways, I had to say that. No, but so Ty comes out and says, gives a big personal assessment of everything that happened. I think she said all the right things that she was in over her head, made a lot of wrong decisions, raised too much money, spent it too fast, didn't build proper business practices. It was all great. It's, I mean, great in the sense that like I applaud her for acknowledging everything she did wrong. But the thing that she talked about is like, there's all these, it's a lot of things we talk about in the show, all these pressures on founders from venture capital money, from the media, from all these things that like make it really hard to do what you're doing well. And I think that ultimately, to be honest, like she just failed the test. The test is, can you take all those pressures as a founder and figure out how to make it work before you run out of money or are fired as a first time founder? And, and she didn't. And, and, and look, I'm not saying that she's like making excuses. She does. She definitely does not. She gives a very, very honest, like authentic assessment of what happened. I just want to point out the fact that like, okay, great, but she doesn't get a pass. Like I have just two quick points. Uh, I don't want to spend too much time on it. One is she deserves a tremendous amount of credit for building a brand that has serious equity with a lot of people in a very short amount of time. She's definitely one of those brands, or Outdoor Voices is one of those brands that punches way above its weight class in terms of revenue, money raise, et cetera. Unbelievably. Everybody knows who they Unbelievably. are. Unbelievably. I mean, out of the gate, this was a company that had real cultural relevance almost immediately, and that didn't stop anytime soon. They are. She does understand how to build a brand. The second piece, and to your point, this is just an uninteresting time for her to say all this. It's just like a not that interesting time for her to come out and say, I made mistakes. We were spending too much money like that. That topic and the time for her to say this was like a year and a half ago. And it's just an uninteresting time <laughs> for that article to be written. You know, it's like so. Yes, uh, that's true and interesting. But I think that it would have been really, really powerful and impactful for her to come out and say this even before they went through all of the controversy that they've been going through over the last year or so. I mean, who was the founder that was going to say, and to your credit, you've, I don't want to, I don't want to give you too much credit, but you, you did say <laughs> on my podcast before we had a show together, you did touch on a lot of this stuff, but like who was the founder that when they were actually doing it or when they had just come out of it, that was going to talk about this and say, look, we need to course correct here. There are things that we're doing. There are things that companies are doing that are, and that's just, this. that article's been written. That story's been written. And it's like, that's not really newsworthy to me at this point for her to come out and say that. Yeah. And there's a reason why that article came out. People read it and then never, like nobody really talked about it. Absolutely. Okay. Moving forward. I think. So Ken. So Ken. Ken when? Ken when. I love Ken. 
if you don't know, Ken and I are actually very close friends. Episode five. Episode five. He's the founder of Republic, which what we were just talking about, we wish you could invest in, anybody could invest in these startups. If you raise money on Republic, you can. Like anybody can invest in startups with like 10 bucks you can. You don't have to have a $25,000 check to burn. But I love Ken. Every time I see Ken, I've seen Ken several times during COVID. He's always coming back from another country. Like, this is the only person who has figured out a way to, like, leave the country repeatedly and come back. He's like, I just came back from Nicaragua or Vietnam or his co-founder, Peter, who's from Russia, who's been in quarantine in Ru- or not in quarantine, but he's been spending COVID in Russia. They, like, met up in the DR for an offsite. I love Ken. He, I, if I could invest in a person, I would invest in him and I, I would put all my money in him and just know that great things are happening. So... I think the only update on Republic that I've seen since our episode was I think there was some legislation passed that raised the limit that non-accredited investors could invest from a million to five. Mm. Could have done the should have done the research on that. Anyways, there was some news about raise the amount that companies can raise from non-accredited investors. I believe so. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. So currently, and uh, when we recorded the episode, that like grows their tar- their 100%. like ability to hundred percent, like five x. Yeah. So you could only ra- you could only raise a million dollars on Republic, up to a million dollars, I believe, on Republic. When oh, we, I got I got to ask him about this. And so I think that they just had a pretty big win, and I know Ken has been involved in the legislation side of things in in Washington. So I think, of course, he has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think uh, big win for Ken. That was episode five. Episode he, he took he took the Senate out and got them all drunk. <laughs> <laughs> You're speaking from experience. Uh, episode six. Liza Landsman talked about board composition. She had so much insight. I loved this episode. She was amazing. She's she's the best. So she's a partner at NEA. NEA is on her board. We work with Liza. Not, I mean, not. I don't talk to her nearly enough. I should talk to her more. Awesome. Okay. Uh, moving up to episode seven, marketing your business model. What what stuck out to you for on this episode? I mean, we we took a big dump on the company Italic, and I think <laughs> I think it's. I, think, <laughs> I don't think they've moved out of my toilet bowl. I gotta say, I got some messages from. From listeners, I'm making it sound like we have a ton of listeners, but a few people sent me messages. <laughs> all, all four of them. <laughs> a few people sent me messages, one in particular that said, yeah, I ordered something from that company. It was a piece of shit. I don't want this to be a, a hate on Italic episode. No, I uh, actually have a friend uh, who, who runs a company called DeskView. This guy, Jason, also, Jason's going to love me for giving him a shout out. He also works at Roe, which is a banking company modern banking for for businesses i i had dinner with him recently and he was like i bought a bunch of stuff off italic it's great and i was like i i i think their company's terrible and he was like i totally know what you're saying i recognize that they will not be around in like two years but supposedly i'm getting everything at a massive discount so i'm gonna buy it and he was like and i bought some pots and pans and they're great and he's like and i bought some sheets too he's like the sheets are awesome and i was like so you're buying commodity products off there that's a good point yes and i was like you know what valuable it could work that could work well 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 flash in the pan for a consumer i was like i think you should max i might buy some stuff from there you should but, but it's not going to be around a long time. Yeah, I don't. I, I still think it's a little like 
I have to pay, I have to pay a membership fee up front and then I get a discount on on products but I end up never buying products so I just pay that membership fee and then maybe I buy one thing and it's not the discount it just doesn't It'd be like if MealPal was like pay us $100 yeah. and then we'll give you $5 for lunch every day. Yeah, it's dumb. And I'd be like, like $5 for lunch every day. I'm like, sign me up. But We're already I... spending way too much time talking about Italic. We All gotta right, move on. Let's move on. Episode eight. This is a, one of my favorite episodes as well, even though his audio was shitty. Josh Bobrowski. He was very candid about shutting down his business. Since we had that conversation, we are now LinkedIn friends. And Josh Bobrowski is prolific on LinkedIn. He's a LinkedIn influencer. He's a wild animal on linkedin every single time i open linkedin and i'm a linkedin fan every time every, every single time i open linkedin it's the first thing i see is josh bobrowski made a really insightful post or he commented on somebody's somebody else's really insightful post i've texted with him about this he has he has like a formula for building his linkedin presence and he's done it before by the way when like he used to have, I think it was like the most watched fitness channel on YouTube. He had like these weightlifting videos that he would promote that got like 50 million views or something. And, and like, which today sounds not massive, but you know, 10 years ago was insane. Like he, this guy is, he knows what he's doing. No, I, I'm not even hating on it. I'm a fan of it because everything he posts adds a little tiny bit of value to my day. They're no, insightful posts. No, you're you're spot on because there are people on LinkedIn who suck, and yeah. there's people like him who are posting good content. He, yeah, he knows what he's doing in terms of promoting his own brand. It's and thoughtful, it out though. There. He's thoughtful. It is thoughtful, and it, and it is thought provoking, and it, it's not it's not self promoting. So keep an eye out for Josh because he is, as we mentioned on the show, he is starting a Brazilian Jiu Jitsu league, Night Sports League, and so keep an eye out for that. I I think. I, I think Josh is somebody that I, even though his business failed because of COVID, I would bet on him more than I would bet on most entrepreneurs. Uh, Age of Employee Empowerment, episode nine. What do you remember about that? It's still super relevant. All I'll say, I don't want to spend time on this, but like we continue to do work on this in our company and it just continues to pay dividends to ensure that employees, I mean, it's keeping employees happy, especially during COVID and motivated and making sure that they have their own outlets to be mentally healthy is so important. It's not exactly what the episode was about, but I just say that like if you invest in your employees and talk to them and ensure that they're happy and make sure that they feel empowered, it, it, it makes a big difference. Episode 10. Slava Rubin was on. He's the co-founder of Indiegogo. He talked about when founders leave. I, I think it's interesting that we've had a bunch of episodes now, I think three or even four that all tie into leaving your company in some shape or form. Obviously, Josh, Ignitia Office, he left his company because his company failed or when it went out of business. Uh, Slava, his company was wildly successful and then he made the decision, the difficult decision to leave. We also talk about getting acquired. It's an interesting thing. I think people leave their companies for many different reasons. It's not always we sold or we, we got acquired or we went public or it's not always what you read about in the papers. I mean, this is an example of a guy who started a company that did really well. Most people know Indiegogo. It's still private. Slava has a co-founder of Humbition, Cyrus Masumi, who started ZocDoc. And we're trying to get him on the show. He will not. He can't. He can't. 
I mean, just Google Cyrus Masumi Zokdok. There's a whole thing about it with there's a legal battle and whatever. But like his exit from Zokdok uh, was not kosher. So a lot of different ways that people can leave companies. There, there, there are. And, and by the way, Cyrus is one of my favorite people in the world. Yeah. Who is who gives the most amazing advice him and slava are like if you're raising money take money from them also was just in your you just had conversations with both of them with your board meeting oh yeah they're both amazing if, if you can take money from ambition i highly recommend it uh then we have episode 11 advice for early stage founders alex from field tiles his business is doing really well it's growing quicker than he thought it would he made money this year which is great and he spent money this year as well what was the feedback on that episode people really liked it i think that there is a good group of folks that listen to this show that are budding entrepreneurs that are building businesses and they were interested in this because it was tactical advice for businesses we don't do that every episode i thought we really, really leaned into that for this episode. So I actually did get some feedback that said, I really appreciated this episode because I'm building a business that does X. And that was insightful. Episode 12. This is with uh, Greg Renfrew, the founder and CEO of Beauty Counter. What stuck out, what stuck out to you about Greg? She's such a pro. I mean, when when does this company go public? I don't know. I hope, I, I would imagine soon. I, I, I have no idea, but it is a multi hundreds of million $100 million plus revenue business. She's just a more stud. Than that. It's more than that. I will say I've talked to a lot of people since that episode who are who have recently or are trying to start not beauty brands, but like skincare brands, things in the space. Some of them have said they want to use the same business model as Beauty Counter, which is you know testament to the fact that she's built such an amazing business. But they all focus on this clean health thing, which is... Amazing. And, and that's what she said she wanted, right? Yep. She was like, I hope people, this space has more people participating because it's important. Yeah, we, we asked her that. We we're like, are you concerned that this will disrupt your own company? And she's like, hey, if that happens. Stealthily, I think this is a really insightful episode. I thought she gave a lot of great nuggets. We pressed her about the business model. I mean, she has 60,000 plus people selling her product around the country. Okay, episode 13 was with Ted Wright. Probably the most high-energy guest we've had. I mean, you warned me before he came in, but I really loved Ted. I have another follow-up story about Ted. I didn't know him before the episode. I think we had a great conversation. You had to leave a little bit early, and so he and I kept talking. And just, like, just a great guy. Tons of insight. Like, a guy who's just overflowing with experience and knowledge and passion about his industry. Also very active on LinkedIn. I connected with him on LinkedIn. Like I did, Josh. And <laughs> Ted is like, he'll go after people on LinkedIn if he disagrees with them in a playful way, but he's got like LinkedIn beef with people. He's like, if you're an influencer, watch out. He will defend the honor of influencer marketing and what he believes it truly is. And he'll go after the quote influencer community hard on the internet. And I'm here for it. I think it's hilarious to watch. And literally right after we connected, he had this pretty sizable LinkedIn beef. And I read the whole thing. I was It was like a gossip column for me. I was into it. I love Ted. He knows what he knows. He knows his world. He knows his shit. He knows Inside his and shit. out. He really, really does. And he, he doesn't loves pretend. to tell other people whether it's positive, <laughs> meaning like he's he's educating them about it and they love it. Yep. 
or they're doing the exact thing that he hates and yeah. he will tell them to and he, I, it, he strikes me as a guy that can't help himself like he has to jump in the fray which i respect like any other successful he's person, like he's like saying hey he's he, unapologetic yeah, about it. yeah which i think is great um episode 14 casper Phil Krim, we talked about going public, and we talked about SPACs, which, in full transparency, I had never heard of a SPAC before we had the episode. You were like, we got to talk about SPACs and started sending me articles. Special Purpose Acquisition Company. I was like, this sounds just like a classic financial term that doesn't mean anything. And then we had the episode with Phil, which I really appreciated. And then I started seeing SPACs all over the place, and I'm reading about them all over the place, and I feel like I, I couldn't believe that i hadn't heard of them i will say that one of the things that i loved about this episode was you know casper more than any of the other guests that we've had or brands that we've talked about casper's probably been embroiled in the most amount of controversy when it comes to consumer brands certainly e-commerce brands and if you were a skeptic of casper going into listening to this episode i think you were not a skeptic, certainly not as much of a skeptic after listening to it. I know I was a skeptic going in. I think I've been a skeptic on some level of Casper for a long time. And after having that episode and meeting Phil and talking at length and hearing him talk about his business, like I'm buying stock. Uh, he was calculated. He had great answers for our questions. He was confident in the future. He was self-aware of the things that they hadn't done well. And I really appreciated it. I thought he was far more candid than I thought he would be. Because he doesn't have any reason to be with us. And I just, I appreciate it. This was one of my favorite episodes. I agree. I personally really like Philip. He was very honest on the show, like you said. Yeah, you knew him personally. I didn't know him personally. But I've only known him as the CEO of Casper and me as the CEO of Burrow. And we've had a lot of conversations about our companies in the last, like, you know, couple of years. And we have, we share a board member. Tony Florence is on his board and ours. And so we've we've traded notes on a number of things, and obviously they're you know ten times as big as us. But he's he's always been a very level-headed, insightful person, and I I think that episode really really showed that in in action. Like you said, like even in in the face of turmoil for their for their public offering, and he was very honest about that. Like you know we we've gotten people who have said, hey, I loved the show, but I wish you'd be more critical of guests. I mean. I don't think it was any secret that he was like, the IPO didn't go go well. And you could tell it, it took a toll on him. It was far more honest than I thought he would be. But I thought it also showed that like, hey, if you believe in this guy to run the company, which I think you should, I'm not a public investment broker or advisor. I think you should buy their fucking stock. I felt the same way. I thought that he, I think it's rare for people to acknowledge the elephant in the room in the way that he did. I mean, they have been hammered in the press for years and in the culture of startups that we talk about so often casper is one of the mount rushmore companies uh in terms of it being talked about at least it is like warby parker casper and then you could pick you know your pick of another top 10 that our people talk about there's a whole bunch glossier a number of others all birds but you know i would say that Warby Parker, in a lot of ways, kind of founded this terminology and founded this, even though the business model had been done many times before, they popularized it for in the way that they blended all of the things that we talk about so often, e-commerce, brand, direct-to-consumer, cutting out the middleman. They packaged it in a very specific way, and they were the first kind of to do that. Casper was second. 
I mean, maybe not second, but Casper was right there. The next big one. Yeah. Right? And their growth rate was outrageous and anyway. Outrageous. Their growth rate dwarfed Warby. Growth rate, though, we'll learn, as you'll attest, growth rate is not everything, right? And Casper will attest. Totally. Totally. Warby has a more sustainable business model than Casper does. And they're just, 100%. they're just different. I mean, Casper, anyway, I was super. But to go from we just launched in April to first year, like 14 million or whatever it was to 90 million the next yeah, year crazy. to like 150. the Like what? Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. And not all positive. I mean, we could talk about the whole show could be about Casper. Honestly, we could do an episode every week about Casper. They raised too much money at too high of a valuation. It cornered them into this position where they had to go public. They went public, and it was a it was like the least opportune time to go public. But all that being said, if you remove all the noise, they have an amazing brand. They have the best brand for any of these mattress companies. I mean, like by far and away. Agreed. And... And, and they're launching other products successfully. And if you just strip away all the noise, take that brand with a really solid leader or solid management team and an amazing leader and tell me they don't they don't figure it out. Yeah, you bet on it long term. I mean, you, you do. I, I, I would not have said that before this episode. And I think you really do. Okay, episode 15, the COVID episode. We dove deep on Burrow. Was that fun for you? It was great, but do we talk? About Burrow too much? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's hard for me not to. It's like my life. Reach out to us if you um, think um, we're unless, talking about Burrow too much. Unless, unless unless you think you want to hear about Luna, my dog, or my wife. Shreya. Early episodes, Luna used to play a role. She, when we recorded a lot more from home and during COVID, <laughs> Luna was always in the background. But um, So I guess the update, though, on Burrow since the COVID episode is you had a board meeting, all good things, more to come on that front. Yeah, totally. Okay, episode 16, our most recent episode with Ryan Babenzine. 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 Ryan Babenzine. Started greats. Uh, One of my favorite things about this episode was I had a personal relationship with the business. He didn't know this, but I was at Jack Irwin at the time when he started his business, and so we followed it very, very closely. Also, I knew a a handful of people that were worked there over the years. Yeah, don't don't be shy. You were like... Fuck this company. I was not a huge greats fan early on, primarily because I worked at a competitor, even though it really wasn't a competitor. We did dress shoes. He did sneakers. But Ryan, out of the gate, was loud and bullish about his company, which a lot of successful people when he, are. When he came on the show? Or no, when, when he first when started he came the on the scene. Yeah, when yeah, he yeah. first came on the scene, he was very confident and what I read into as overconfidence at the time, but I didn't have, I, you know, who was I? But what I didn't know was that he's a brilliant marketer. He was marketing. From day one, he was marketing. The way he talked about his business, the way he positioned his business, who he collaborated with early on, how they talked about those collaborations, the way they rolled those collaborations out, the way they talked about their product, regardless of the quality, regardless of the price, regardless of all of the actual facts around the business, the way that they talked about it made a huge difference in how they were able to grow early on, how they were able to achieve cultural relevance early on. And they did that. Out of the gate, they did that. And he spoke candidly about it on the show. Internally, it was a different story. They had a lot of challenges, as every startup does. 
But what they presented to the world, I thought was, at the time, I was cynical about it. But now looking back and hearing him speak about it, it's impressive. It's marketing. Ryan's great. He was great. And after the episode, after the podcast, we talked for at least an hour. As we often do, yeah, with guests. And he challenged me hard on what Burrow should and should not be doing in terms of collaborations, which was mostly what we should be doing, what we should be open to. And we talked through it in depth. He's he's really insightful. And he's also just a really there's a lot of uh there's a lot of people in the space who I want to say like actors in, in the community who will offer to help out. And then at some point in the conversation, they're like, yeah, you know, and, and I could consult for you or whatever. Mm. And you start to realize that they're like, oh, I, I can charge you money for these types of conversations. Mm. And it kind of sours the the mood a little bit. And I mean, in general, if you do hope to be able to advise people or consult for people, I think the model is the successful model in the long run is have those conversations for free. Give advice for free. Talk with the person for free. If it becomes clear that there's a specific project or that this advice on a regular basis would be valuable, which is rare, but it, it exists. That's what consulting is, paying for your expertise. But if you're just giving advice here and there as a friend or a mentor or whatever, or, or that advice could lead to a, a formal project or engagement whereby I give you advice on this all the time because I'm an expert in this space and I can help guide you in your business going forward as opposed to, oh, let me just like riff on ideas with you and charge you money for it. Like there's a lot of people who will connect with you, grab drinks, whatever, and then try to charge you for their advice. And it's so inauthentic. And Ryan was the exact opposite of that. We, we, we jammed on that. And then not, not only after the hour that we talked post-podcast recording with, with Phineas here, but, but Ryan and I personally chatted for another two hours afterwards. You did? Yeah, like two days later. Oh, you got on the phone. It's funny. He called me too, and we talked. <laughs> well, he wants to start a podcast. With yeah, you. yeah. We met the next day or the next week, the next couple days, and then he called me. He texted. He he DM'd me on Instagram and said, "What's your number?" And then he called me, uh, out of the blue, and we talked for like an hour just about the industry of podcasting. And uh, I agree with you, man. He he's authentic. He's real. He's genuine. And he, he was like, he, he, I would never charge you for this, these types of conversations. I will help you navigate collaborations with other brands. And he, he means I don't, it. I don't want to be involved in it. Yeah, he means it. Yeah, and he was like, if you ever thought I was going to charge you, like you should punch me in the face. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. He should have a podcast. Thank you for listening. Let's wrap it there. Class dismissed. Class dismissed. If you want to support this podcast, the best thing you can do is hit the subscribe button. Take a minute, hit the subscribe button so you'll be notified whenever we come out with a new episode.